discovered how trailblazing risk leaders navigate uncertainty with finesse and confidence? Uncover the surprising connections between their personal journey and professional prowess and get ready to learn and elevate your risk management game with the Risk Masters Podcast. Join host Julian Hay in collaboration with Risk.net as they delve into hidden gems of risk leadership through engaging conversations and thought-provoking insights from board directors to chief risk officers and business leaders. Bonjour and welcome to the third episode of Risk Masters with Divya Ipen. Divya has had an unexpected and, at times, certainly testing career path in risk management, with experience spanning from global institutions like Citibank to innovative financial technology firms like Currency Fair. Divya offers unique perspective on risk management in this rapidly changing landscape. In this episode, you will discover one, Divya's career in risk management and how to bounce back from failure. Two, her insights into working with fintech and payment companies. And three, how artificial intelligence and machine learning are reshaping risk and compliance strategies in the fintech space and beyond. You will find more information on my website, julien.com, including the transcript and the notes of today's episode, as well as tons of thought leadership articles on risk management. And now more about Tivia. Tivia is a commercial and experienced credit lead chief risk officer across the consumer and wholesale space. She has recently set up her own risk consultancy focused on two segments, provision of risk management advisory, largely to fintechs and webtechs, and advisory to SMEs and MMEs on optimizing debt finance to support growth and turnaround. She's passionate about inspiring teams with a shared purpose to build and transform businesses in a positive and sustainable manner. She embraces the use of technology and data to enable smarter and faster decision making. Outside of work, Divya has two young boys that keep her very active and as a result is learning to play tennis and piano with them. She has a keen interest in wine and has studied it at a high level. And now, here is Divya. Divya, welcome. Um, today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Divya Ippen uh, in that podcast, the third episode of the Risk Master series. Divya is currently a risk management consultant and advisor and also chief risk officer. Uh, you, you worked in many organizations, especially fintech, and we are going to primarily focus on that today. Uh, I think you worked at Citi as well as credit risk officer, uh, and you had uh, a very well-rounded view around the fintech space. Um, But before we get there, can you give us a bit of a fun fact in, into how you actually ended up working as a credit risk officer? Sure. It's, um, it's quite a interesting and slightly embarrassing. Well, at the time, it was very embarrassing. So I showed up at my interview at City. Um, I had been in advisory roles before that, but I showed up thinking I was applying for an asset management role because it was called Global Portfolio Management. Um, when I got to the interview, the person interviewing me told me that it was actually a credit risk portfolio management role, so very different from what I was applying for. But fortunately, he still pushed me through to the next round. I ended up the, getting the job and, yep, have spent a lot of time in risk since then. So in a way, you ended up in risk management a little bit by accident, yep. haven't you? Uh, it happens. Uh, and I'm sure we are going to come back to that and go through your, uh, your career path and what it means to, to get to where you are today. Um, So exactly that, to that point, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. So I spent a lot of time in banking. I was in, I was in banking for about 12 years. I did um, a few different things, a lot of very client-facing roles. And um, 
I then moved into fintech. It was a very conscious role. I was at a point in time where I was able to take some risks. Ironically, my my partner was, he had a job. I had just had a child. I wanted to feel excited about what I was doing because obviously the opportunity cost of going to work was a little bit higher. Um, So I took a chance and moved into fintech. I haven't really looked back since. I have nothing against banking, but for me, being in fintech and being able to be in a position where I can drive the organization strategy has been extremely rewarding. And um, yes, it's made, made, um, meant that in some cases we had to take some sacrifices financially, but it also meant that in the roles I've had the energy and the passion that helped me bring in new ideas Mm. and it gives me credibility with the board, with the CEO, that's, and helped me have a very enjoyable career for the most part. And we'll come back to that, especially the interaction with the board and perhaps try to contrast a little bit that view from a fintech space and having worked in a bigger organization as well, like yeah. City. Um, and so staying on a more personal side, um, how do you juggle so many activities in your uh, busy life? Sure. So I made the mistake uh, relatively recently when someone asked me this by saying I've been tired for eight years. Um, That's true, but it's also not true. Uh, So a friend and former boss of mine, she had told me that rather than looking at your life as a point in time perspective where everything's in perfect balance, look at it as a number of years. So some months you'll be a good enough mother or a good enough daughter or a good enough colleague. You're not going to be perfect at everything all the time. And sometimes someone you love will get sick or you'll get sick and everything else goes. So think of that pie chart as kind of a lifetime pie chart or a 10-year pie chart rather than that moment in time. And I think as we are all way too tough on ourselves, especially women, and feel guilt for all sorts of things that we're not doing well enough and in our own minds only. And if we can get let that go, I think it all becomes a lot easier you're not as tired because you're not kind of beating up yourself as much and you have more energy and you're happier, or at least it's worked for me that way. And I, and I can relate to that. Like, I think you have two children I at do, home. Yeah. I have a little one as well. Yeah. So striking that balance, uh, I will admit the gym morning session is gone. <laughs> <now>. It has <laughs> disappeared from my life. That's okay. It can come back in, t- in five yeah. years' time. Or, or, <laughs> or ten, maybe or never, 20. After yeah. retirement. Exactly. Um, and so with that in mind... Um, What was the hardest challenge you had to overcome in your journey and how did you bounce back from it? Sure. So I think on a a professional basis, it is hands down uh, my experience at Greensill. It was an incredible place to work. I know reading in the press, you hear all the negatives, but it was actually a very, very exciting place. It, It was a place where you felt like there was lots of possibility. It did have some extremely obvious challenges. And despite coming into it quite late, I was really excited to be there and felt like with some time, the concentration issues that were in place could be worked out and could be managed. And I was the right person to help the company become kind of a scalable, sustainable business rather than just a rocket ship with um, no sustainability. Uh, I think as we all know from this having been in the press for a while, or historically in the press, um, a series of events all at the same time, including a pand- the pandemic, kind of came to a head together. So in addition to losing a job I loved, there was a big reputational hit to me because I was I had the title of CRO, albeit I had only had it for three months and I came in very late into the game. But it felt like a very big failure and it was hard for me to bounce back. Um, 
first of all, I was exhausted because I'd spent months and months trying to save the company working nonstop. It was a place I loved and some companies just wouldn't engage with me and talk Mm -hmm. to me. So going back to that pie chart I was talking about, at that point, it made no sense to try and kind of go out there and look for a job when I'm still completely exhausted. So I was, I, I took some time, got well physically, mentally again. And only then was I able to think about what I wanted to do and actually go into meetings with that energy and excitement that I referred to before. And how did you handle, if I may ask, the perhaps the pushback you had initially from being associated with that name? Have you have you found any recipe to address that? I think at time, well, it, what's been interesting to me is I think the companies that value that experience that I had and are willing to listen to me are probably the companies that I want to work with more because you do learn in failure and if if you've never actually hit anything hard or had a hard time as a risk manager you've probably not had to manage i mean managing risks when everything's going perfectly all the time is it's not the same it's the same, not the same job it's when things are going wrong are you resilient are you there can you think of ways ahead um can you lead your team can you lead the rest of the management team through this mm. And I'm sure we will come back to some of those aspects, especially in the fintech mm-hmm. space, which is a very high path. I would argue probably riskier yeah, areas. Sure. Well. Yeah. Um, and perhaps one last question on the more personal side. Who or what inspired you to uh, become such a successful risk leader? So we already heard from you <laughs> that you got there a little bit by chance. Yeah. But what else can you tell us? Well, there were a couple of people, and I don't want this to sound like the Oscars, but... Um, so one of my managers at City, uh, her name's Zoe Wimborn, she was actually, she showed me that a risk manager doesn't have to be someone who's super aggressive, loud, angry all the time. She said, showed me that there's actually different parts to that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not, I'm not um, going to talk over people and shout over people. And in restructuring, that's often the way people operate. But she showed me that you can be successful and still be really true to yourself and still achieve results. So that was, she's been a key driver in this, in this journey, knowing that I can constantly be true to myself and what matters to me and how I treat other people. Um, I had an amazing coach while I was at Greensill who helped me get rid of all that guilt I was talking about, about not being this or not being worthy of being in the room because I was 15 years younger than everyone else there or wasn't able to work 90 hours a week because I have a young family. And then mostly it's my, my husband. I mean, he's been a really equal partner, which has helped me shape my career in a way that's got more flexibility and who constantly encourages me to actually chase happiness and take risks if I need to. So not stay in the stable banking job forever and ever and do something that could be a bit more fun. And if it isn't, go back to banking or find something else. Yeah, uh, well, no. Risk management is actually about taking risks as well, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think you've started touching a little bit on that. Um, In your professional journey, did you find that your gender had an impact in the way uh, people engage with you? Um, And could you share your insights into how being a woman and a successful senior woman leader uh, impacted your, your work and the challenges you had to face as a result? Yeah. Um, so I I hear a lot of people, especially women, talk about imposter syndrome a lot, and it I think it comes it obviously comes from feeling like you're not worthy to be in that room. But being a woman, 
in financial services as well, you face, and, and prior to joint starting work, you face challenges that a lot of other people, well, a lot of men haven't had. You haven't been given the same opportunities. You have to build huge amounts of resilience. You've seen failure. You're not always being picked up off the floor by others. And this is hugely important when you're in a board or executive team. I've, I've been in boardrooms where everyone has been very successful all through their career, and nothing's actually ever really gone wrong. And so they have this confidence that nothing will ever go wrong. Um, and I think this characteristic of hubris, I mean, it's very long. Uh, it's like it, from Greek mythology, from everything, it's been the, the theme for a long time, but it's, I, I don't think it's as likely to be seen in women. So I think it's actually a really um, important superpower that women can bring to a board, to a senior exec team. And I think, yeah, actually to be able to understand risk and talk about risk properly and with credibility, it helps hugely to have seen and be able to articulate when things go wrong and what you could have done differently. And so the next time you have something to learn for, from and you don't follow the same mistakes and you have an awareness that things can actually go wrong. And I think that plays into uh, the notion of gender equality and also balancing senior roles mm. uh, from a gender standpoint as well, uh, in a way that complements each other, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so if we were to look back into what you used to do, for example, uh, at Currency Fair, how would you describe your, your day job and your interaction with the board? Sure. So I think... For risk partners, and I like to call it partners rather than managers because I really think everyone should be managing risks, so much of the work we need to do is to be visible and to be helpful and to be a voice of reason and calm rather than volatility. Um, when things are starting to go wrong, that people trust you, that they can come to you and say, hey, um, operationally, we're not doing this and this. I don't think it's a big issue now. I just wanted to escalate it to you. So that you, as a CRO, can figure out and distill what the relevant information is to talk to the LT, to talk to the board about um, what are the things that can actually bring the company down, um, what will have the ability to take bring the company down. Sorry, in fintechs, it's very binary in a way that I think in banking probably it's less so, but it, it really is what can bring this company down. And um, so what are the problems that are happening that might be small, but if you let it grow unmanaged, will become big problems later. So it is that being visible, being available, and recognizing the problems early. And interesting, because here you, you mentioned as well, what can bring such company down might not be actually the same. And as a result, discussion you're having in the big company is not the same. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on that? Um, yeah, sure. So like in a small company like a FinTech, for example, Especially now, liquidity is, is, such a, is such a huge problem. Not having enough liquidity to be able to, if, if your revenues are down 5% from what you expected them to be, that's, that's going to be a liquidity event in 12 months' time or 8 months' time. It's not going to be a liquidity event in 15 years. The time horizons are just so much shorter. You don't have that much time to play with. Yeah, and uh, it's about that cash in the bank, you yeah, know, right? Absolutely. It's it's very binary in that context. Either yeah. you have or you don't, and if you don't, then you're out of business. Exactly, and you don't have the 500 million RCF that's just mm. sitting there for you to use at any point. 
So, uh, in a way, liquidity is always what kills company before lack of capital, isn't it? Yeah. And so here you touched a little bit on the engagement as well with uh, your board and executive. Is there anything else you can share with, uh, with the audience around how do you ensure everybody stays on top of the risk agenda? Yeah, I think it's going back to what I said, it's very much about being a risk partner and not a blocker. So as a risk partner, whether you're the CRO or the head of sales, you have to be thinking about growth and risks and to keep that commercial imperative front of mind as a risk manager is key. And it's as, as I said, it's as much my job or the head of sales job to keep the company growing and to keep it safe. Um, but also keeping the, the rest of the team engaged and just making sure that you're talking about growth and you're talking about risk together, that you're not, it's like, oh, that's, that's too difficult to do. It's being, thinking of solutions. There obviously are risks that you just don't take, but for the most part, you can structure around it or you can give some guide rails of, I get why we want to move into this market. These are the dangers of moving into this market, for example, but these are the things that we can do to make it less likely to blow us up in the future. And look, having come from a place that didn't work, I, I have credibility when I, when I talk about it. Well, at least you live through it. So exactly. You, you, you have that understanding that probably most people around the table would not have. Yeah. Um, and so connecting to that, how do you see the risk function supporting the strategic agenda of the firm? And you, you already touched on some of those points, but is there anything else you, you can think about? Yeah, it's just that they're one and the same thing. Um, risk is about supporting scale, scalable growth. That's what every every part of the organization should be doing. So I don't think, I think risk is part of the strategic agenda, part of the strategic discussion. And if you start separating it, that's where problems are much more likely to occur. And so now I'd like to dive uh, uh, very neatly into more of the fintech space, sure. right? So we, we talk a lot about risk management. Um, what are the most significant risks that fintech payment companies face today? And in your view and experience, how should they prioritize them? Yeah. So if you asked me this question less than a year ago, I would have said that um, I think a lot of fintechs are going too broad and they have this scattergun approach, which is partly because there was so much liquidity in the market. Um, everyone was trying to invest in payments companies. That's changed now. It's, um, there's a lot less liquidity and availability of new finance. So today it's actually ensuring that you have a strong growth proposition, that you're hyper-focused and you don't, that growth pro proposition doesn't rely on a constant additional spend. So you actually, it's that path to profitability has to be much faster, which means there's less you can do. You can't try everything and see what works. You have to actually make some choices. And yeah, as we touched upon earlier, the real risk now is running out of money and you don't know what the regulators are going to do and what changes are going to make. So you kind of have to have that treasure chest to be able to invest in risk consultants or advisors or um, regulatory consultants to help you with that. So it's it's really being very, very careful with liquidity and knowing what you're spending money on and having that as a um, having that really tightly managed as a as a decision as at the LT decision making body. Uh, I can I can definitely relate to that, and f for me, it's also about how decisions in that context are being made, and the understanding of the cash impact of those decisions, especially in those companies which are not probably profitable. Never mind cash flow, at least cash flow neutral, not to say cash flow accretive. Yeah. 
which is far more prominent in that specter that you would find ever in banking, for example. Absolutely. If you if you make the wrong choice, it means that oh, if you try too many different things, it means that that brings your cash runway much earlier. Um, so. As I said, yeah. it's the whole live or die scenario. That's uh, that's we, it's we not had, unique to fintechs, but it's it's more unique to fintechs than in banks. We had twenty months in front of us. Now we only have six. Exactly, and then the regulator has said this: we would like to come in and review your AML framework, and then suddenly you've only got two because you don't have, you need to spend some money to have the right consultants in place to help you with that. Yeah. Uh, and so with that in mind, how do you strike the balance between innovation and risk management? Because here we can already see the tension between, well, and it's not about the risk management function itself, actually. is Risk management is about, in your example, cash management. Yeah. So how do you strike that balance from your perspective? So I think it is having the leadership team and the board very, very clearly aligned in that and 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 agreeing with each other and having of having the view of what the risk appetites are, um, having a good understanding of the business, where it's going. So yes, it's for the CFO to be running the numbers, but the whole team should be, the whole LT should be aware of how the company is performing, how much money is left, why making one choice will have the, have impacts on the others. And while the CRO doesn't, I don't think the CRO should be involved in every decision because then you're just ending up going to be the blockers. But it's it's just making sure that risk and growth are constantly discussed together. And as I said, making sure that when it does start separating, bring them back together. And that's what the LT and the board have to do. And it's making sure the risk aspect is always dis- Absolutely. discussed. Absolutely, right up front. Yeah, it's discussed right as front. part of any decision, effectively, Absolutely. And, and growth plan. And it would be good if it's not only the CRO that keeps bringing that up. And it's... Interestingly, I've been in two companies where you think that the CMO and the CRO are completely on opposite sides, but actually we've worked very, very well together as, as partners. And sometimes it, it gives credibility if someone else is bringing up the risk in something rather than the CRO all the time. Well, I will argue the CEO should be do, doing that first, Absolutely. but that's me. <laughs> Um, and so here you already touched on, on a little bit on the regulator, uh, regulatory aspect and clearly, especially in the fintech space, the regulatory agenda and the level of maturity of the regulatory framework is still evolving. Uh, so how do you anticipate and prepare for regulatory change in that space and especially considering the constraint yeah. you, you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so in a large bank, you will have massive teams that are doing horizon scanning as their day job. You don't have that in the, fint- in, a, in the fintech world. What you do have and that you do build is you, or I would highly recommend that people build, is you have a great network. You have, you're, you're talking to CROs or consultants across many different sectors and different geographies. So you can, in adjacent industries, so you can see what's happening. And then obviously using AI, like if you know that you can't read every single regulatory output from every regulator in the world. But if you have certain things that you are interested in, so if, I don't know, if something's, if you're an Irish company and something's happening in the UK, you'll want to know about that. And so use the tools that you have available to you so that you're actually focusing on um, making the decisions rather than trying to troll through hundreds of thousands of pages of information. Yes, the regulatory rule books are extremely thick. Exactly. <laughs> And they're not easy reading either. 
No, that, yeah, it's probably more for a bedtime story than anything else in a short one. Um, but they are extremely important and they, they are not going away. And Absolutely. what I'm observing in the fintech space uh, nowadays is, for example, getting a license is much more difficult than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, which is far more restrictive if there's no capabilities to actually manage the regulatory landscape and what it means to properly manage risks as well of those organizations. Yeah, and it's it's really hard because the regulators expect you to have the same ability to mitigate and control your risks as a large bank with thousands of people would have. So, And that's at the same time as, obviously, if you're at Barclays, you probably have a better relationship and are able to access the regulators and ask questions much more frequently than you would at a tiny fintech trying to set up its UK operations. So it is really hard. It is really challenging. Um, but I think if this is why the networks and the groups it, it matter so much, because as one fintech, you probably don't have a voice. But if you're representing a group of fintechs in the payment industry, and obviously there is an imperative to have more innovation in the UK. You can you can have a bit more sway that way. Uh, if I may ask, um, we, and you mentioned AML, for example, as mm -hmm. a theme that uh, is coming back. In fact, I would argue KYC more broadly keeps coming back yeah. in, uh, in uh, fintech, but also in neobanks as well as an issue. And there are very famous or infamous cases out there. Do you see any other theme that comes back from the regulator just out of curiosity as well? Um so I think it is around, there has been a lot around transaction monitoring in general. So it's, it's, it is, as you said, it's the AML piece, but it's, it's not that initial KYC, it's the ongoing KYC and making sure that um, people are aware of, able to explain what's going on. And I find that regulators are actually looking more into the technology of how you do it. So saying that you have a tech-driven solution, while it might have worked five years ago, doesn't work anymore. They actually want to sit with you and go through the code and understand how you're building the rules, how you change the rules, um, what you're doing going forward, um, being able to articulate the uh, whether you're using AI or not, for example. They spend a lot more time with the CTO than they did previously. Interesting. Uh, and I think it's a very good segue into our next question around... Um, do you see a role and what role could artificial intelligence and machine learning and NLPs, et cetera, play in enhancing the risk management? And you already touched on that, but can mm -hmm. you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So I think there are a few different aspects that I can just think of quite easily. So the horizon scanning that I talked about. So um, using the AI to actually bring summarized information or key information, then you, the human still has to choose what you do with that information. And I think that's an important theme with AI. I think people have this view that machines are going to take over the world. But actually, for a small fintech, or even a larger fintech, what it allows you to do is, rather than having hundreds of people doing the work and having a team of analysts, you've effectively got that analyst in the AI, and you get summarized information. You obviously need to read it to make sure it all makes sense. And then you make the decision on that basis. So whether it's horizon scanning and what you do with that data, um, transaction monitoring obviously can help reduce the level of false positives, help you adjust your rules if you're using a rules-based model. Um, stepping into the credit world, which is a world that I'm 
it's the space that I'm really interested in. I think as a risk manager, there's often one risk type that you love the most. For me, it's credit. Sorry, that sounds really geeky, but it's true. Um, it's um, credit risk is the one for me. So are there, you've got all this data of payments happening around the world, different networks, supplier, buyer relationships, even though this is a company that's triple C rated, is that actually that payment to another company, is that actually a really good credit-worthy payment? And can you lend against that information? What are the network dynamics there? No human looking at Excel can can do that. Whereas if you have AI, you, you can look at that. Um, but I think one pitfall is that AI will as a CRO, and this is why people are still needed, correlation and causality are two different things. So you still need the human to look and say, is it just a coincidence that this behavior results in this action, or is there potentially some causation there? And then you can make a decision on that basis as to, I don't know, whether you don't lend to this sector or whether you lend more to this sector. And I think actually, sorry, there's one other thing I wanted to say to that to that point. So you can actually use, you can use data, you can use AI as a risk manager, you can actually use some of those outputs to drive the strategic growth initiative. So if you say that this is a safe sector, let's do more of this. And then you don't need, if you're doing, as long as it's meeting these parameters, you don't need specific approvals every single time. So you're accelerating growth while keeping it sustainable and scalable. And there's been a, a wide range of use of such capabilities, uh, clearly, as you mentioned, in credit space, in the payment space as well, around yeah. fraud monitoring, for example. It's huge, you know. Um, I would argue KYC is developing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the previous interview, we talked about that applied to market risk, for example. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's also huge amounts of data that... It's, yeah. So when you, when you start connecting that with machine learning, predictive analytics, mm-hmm. wherever it's data rich, yeah. uh, there's a lot of potential for development there. Uh, but probably not for today. So thank you very much for all of that. Um, now, just to get to a, a close, we are going to move to a lighter touch sure. questions. What superpower do you wish you had? So I grew up in Indonesia and on this cold, rainy October day. Um, I think it comes to the fore much more. It's I wish I could either fly really fast or teleport. And obviously I'd need to be able to carry my family with me. So superhuman strength as well. So maybe I need to. Um, I think I, I did touch on it in a way. There's obviously, when you make certain more risky decisions, you are, you don't have the resources to do all the things you want to do and obviously the carbon impact. So... Yep, if I could fly really fast all around the world without any, with no carbon impact, I would do that. I'm pretty sure the airplane industry doesn't <laughs> like your superpower. Um, what is your favorite book? Um, it, it does change from time to time. Um, but right now it is, when I think about it, it's, it's, it's Animal Farm. And I think that's, it's interesting because it's, the first time I read it was when I was nine or 10. And it was a story about like animals on a farm doing silly things and talking, and I didn't understand the message. But what I like about it is that it evolves as you evolve, and I think so many of those messages um, can be brought back and are applicable to boardrooms and executive rooms as well, executive teams as well. The diversity, the um, 
the diversity of experience, diversity of thought, those things are actually really valuable. You don't want to create one group that supposedly knows what's better for everyone because they don't. Uh, things need to still evolve in that space. Mm. Uh, but they clearly uh, pushed about that. So, And if you had one tool you take away with you all the time, what would it be? Um, so it sounds really weird to say, but my I think my stomach. So when I've learned that intuition, we were talking about su superpowers, but actually intuition is a real superpower for me. Um, and whether that's something else or whether it's just 43 years of experience, which I think is what it is, when something feels wrong in my in my gut, and there's something that I hear or some decision that people are thinking about making, and it feels wrong, it probably is wrong, and it, it means that I should dig into it more. And it has really helped me in the past. Um, there have been times where I didn't listen to it, where I regret not listening to it. So I think it's, um, it's kind of a, a really nice way of my body telling me in a way that my mind can't get there fast enough that, look, all this information, you need to make a decision on it and probably not the one that is the direction it's going now. It's funny, you're the second person with really? who I have such discussion <laughs> this week. Okay. Um, and if people want to learn about you, where can they go? Um, so I have been working from home for, since March 2020, so just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to have a coffee and talk about risk management or wine or balancing things. Um, I also have a website, uh, riskstrategyconsulting.com, but this is probably the kick I need to update it a bit because it's been sitting pretty dormant for a while. But reach out to me via LinkedIn and yeah, I'm really happy to have coffees and wines and meet new people. And the last question for the audience out there for people who actually want to, to have a very successful career in risk, um, what would be your final advice for emerging leader? Um, I think it's, it's not, I think there's so many different ways to get to a certain place. You don't, I think being open-minded and taking risks, if you can take them, I realize I was fortunate to be able to some, to be able to do that. Take those risks, stop being so hard on yourself. Um, going back to the point that I said, stop worrying about whether you're pretty enough, you're good enough at this, you're good enough of that. Choose what is important to you and make the decisions that help you get there. And it's fine if it's not a ladder. I mean, I've, I think if you talk to most risk managers or most senior people in risk or most senior people in business in general, they've not had these very clear ladder-like career paths. So take chances, um, listen to yourself, take a risk and just, yeah, enjoy it. Make sure to enjoy what you're doing. And if you're not, think about changing it if you have the ability to. Um, and I think having that support network to tell you when you're being too tough on yourself or when you're being silly and you're doubting yourself too much, that they'll just kick you and say, no, you're, you're amazing. You can do this. And, and those people are there, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's a network, you're there for them. They're there for you. And they're really important. Well, Divya, thank you so much for your time today. It was a treat. No we covered a lot of ground and hopefully that will give a very good flavor for anyone who wants to pursue perhaps by chance a, a career in risk management, yeah. uh, but certainly in the fintech space. So thank you so much for your time and speak to you soon. Thank you so much, Julia. It is always a privilege to exchange with inspiring leaders such as Divya, and there is so much to learn from her insights and experience. 
TVS journey from global banking institutions to the dynamic world of financial technology is a testament to the adaptability and innovation required to evolve in today's environment. I was certainly inspired by your approach to bouncing back from challenges and embracing the intersection of risk and innovation, and with that, our learning from how to use AI as a risk manager to enable strategic growth initiatives. So again, some fantastic learning from Divya today. To dive deeper into today's episode and access show notes, transcript, and more, please visit my website julien.com. And remember, keep pushing boundaries, keep having an impact, and never shy away from becoming the master of your destiny. To the next time. Thank you for joining us on Risk Masters today. If you're ready to master risk and unleash your full potential, here's how you can take the next steps. First, head over to julianhay.com to discover even more valuable insights from our Risk Masters. We've got a treasure trove of knowledge waiting for you. Second, don't miss out on future episodes. Hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting platform. Stay tuned for fascinating discussions on risk management. And third, if you found today's episode valuable, please share it on social media. Help others discover the world of Risk Masters and embark on their journey of risk mastery. Remember, success favors the bold. See you on the next episode of Risk Masters.